We have, we have a key verse that we're, we're using throughout this series, and it's found in the book of Hebrews. I want to read it for you and just give you a little bit of clarification on it in case you, don't, you weren't here last week. Um, the writer says in verse 15, through Jesus then, let us continually, everybody say continually. Thank you very much. Offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, and so this is him qualifying what he means by that. That is the, the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. So that would be when we sing songs and that would be when we're praying and we're saying, God, you're great. And when we clap, when we raise our hands, these are all sort of expressions of praise that he's talking about here. But he's also letting us know that it's deeper, it's bigger than just what we say. He says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing with others for with such, and he uses the same word again, sacrifices, God is pleased. So what the writer is saying is that worship is more than just the words we say. It is that. But um, when, when the words that we say, the things that we sing, um, the, the prayers that we pray, when they sort of line up with how we live, which is the second part, that worship is this sort of lifestyle, um, that becomes a very heartfelt worship to God. So it's not just what we say, but it's also how we live. I gave you a definition. I'm going to give you a different one next week, but because worship is multifaceted. No, but this is the one for this week. Worship is having an intense passion or, or esteem for a person, for a place, or, or a thing, meaning you can worship God or you can worship stuff. That's what, he, that's what the definition is letting us know here, that what, it is whatever you ascribe worth to, whatever has highest place in your life, whatever you value most in your life is, in fact, what you worship. And when you think about it like this, that it's whatever we give worth to, then you realize that everybody does this. Religious people, irreligious people, atheists, agnostics, everybody on the, uh, that's a human being on this planet is giving worship to something or to someone. Now, let me explain it like this. There, there are buildings not too far from here, made of glass and steel. And tomorrow morning, um, thousands and thousands of people will pour into those buildings all across our city. And they will sit behind desks or in offices or in cubicles. And some, some of them, the people who walk in there, will find their ultimate sense of purpose and identity and worth inside those buildings. Some people will sacrifice in that building, the very best of themselves, the best of their times, the best of their efforts, the best of their well-being. Some will go to the extent of even sacrificing their own families, the own quality of their family life and time in those buildings. That, that, that's the place where they'll give their hearts, where they'll give the best of themselves. For, for some people, that building is actually their place of worship, and they don't even know it but it's their temple. There's another building near here, a lot of them actually. Um, they have a big old safe in there. And in there they keep money. And nowadays, money is more theoretical than it is anything. Am I right, y'all? Some of you are really rich, but you don't have a dollar in your pocket or a dollar to your name. It's just somewhere in some computer, you have a lot of zeros in there. Can I get a witness for the zeros? More and more zeros, please, Lord. Amen, somebody. Anyways. Um, but, but, but there are people um, who will go into that building or who will get online to see what, how their accounts are doing or their investments are doing. And their, their primary sense of security 
And, and safety comes from how much they have in that vault or in a theoretical sense in that computer and those files. And they offer sacrifices to get more because our God is whatever it is that we sacrifice for. They, they offer sacrifices on a regular basis to, to the God in that building. There, there, there are other buildings not around here, not far from here, where all the walls are mirrored and the priest and the priestesses, they dress in spandex and wear muscle shirts. Can I get a good amen on that, right? And then, of course, because it's summertime and it's beach time, the temple has a lot more people in it than it will, say, in like November or December. But then in January, it'll get crowded again because I'll be there with them all back for the first time in a long time. But, but, but sometimes in that space, in that temple, there, there are people that are driven to distraction to please that God. Sometimes, and this is not a slight on banks or on, on gymnasiums, I just want you to understand that we're worshiping something. Sometimes people get depressed. Sometimes people put themselves in serious harm's way because we're told that the way our body looks is or, and this is a message of our culture for sure, that our body should be a kind of godlike status in our lives, that it should be one of the most important things in our lives. We, we worship appearance. For, for other people in our culture, we, uh, there, our temple might be a mall or a, or a stadium or an arena or a school or a, a television studio, but everybody is a worshiper and everybody will worship something. That's the case that we made last week. And then we started talking about the reasons that worship matters. We said, number one, because it matters to God and God is a worthy God. And number two, because we're going to worship something. So we might as well worship God. Now, thirdly, and this is where we're going to sort of pick back up again. Um, the third reason why worship matters is, is that we become like what it is that we worship. We become like what it is that we worship. We, we begin to turn into, over time, into a form of what we worship. Because whatever we value most, and that's what worship is, whatever we value most begins to consume us. And whatever it is that you're most passionate about, um, ultimately, think about the things that you're very passionate about. You think about them a lot. You spend a lot of money on them. You spend a lot of energy on them. You spend a lot of your time, your disposable income, your disposable time gets funneled into the thing that you're most passionate about. Ultimately, that thing begins to sort of take over your life. We've talked about this again uh, uh, before, but again, it could be a car, it could be a job, could be a house, could be education, could be a career, could be some relationship you're involved in. Um, it could be just you and, and your own personal well-being. And, and you can still come to church and still sing the songs and look the part, but really it is you, you're becoming more like what you're consumed by more than you are by God. If it consumes your passion, if it consumes your money, if it consumes your energy and time, then ultimately it's going to consume you and it's going to shape you because whatever consumes you conforms you and whatever conforms you ultimately determines the destiny, the shape of your life. As a Christ follower, my, my aim is to become more and more like Jesus. The word Christian just means little Christ. That's what they, they, it was kind of a mockery back when they used it in the book of Acts. They were actually making fun of, ah, oh, they're little Jesuses. But it's because these people were going, that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus did. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to do. 
And their lives were being refined by the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus taught, the things that his disciples came back and wrote later on. And, and so how does that work? How does my worship to God, my reverence to God, my studying of the scriptures, how does that form me? Well, we were made, the Bible says, in the image of God. Like we were shaped and we were molded in the image of God. And as we celebrate and as we focus on him and on his character, on his, the things that he values, his attributes, his goodness, his holiness, the more we do that, to the greater degree that we do that, our lives and our, our, our thoughts and our, and our attributes become more and more like him. So as he begins to consume us, he begins to conform us and shape us and mold us into the image that he had for us, the Bible calls it in Ephesians 2, long ages ago. Like, like you are the invention of God, but not on the day you were born, but long ages ago, the Bible says he saw you. And he had a plan, and he began to shape you. But when I, when I worship other things, I become like them. But when I worship God, and I focus on God, and he becomes highest place in my life, then I become more and more like him. So it matters what you worship, because everybody is a worshiper, and everybody will find a, a God, a little G-O-D, or an idol, or something of highest value to give worth to. So, psalmist, um, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 115, and I want you to turn there. If you have it in your Bibles, turn there. Look on your phones. It's in your LifePoint notes if you wanted to grab those on your way in. Hopefully you did. If not, just know that they're back there when you walk in the door uh, into the, into the, lot, uh, into the uh, auditorium. But here, here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but, but to your name be the glory because of your love and because of your faithfulness. And I'm going to get into this next week, but that worship is to God for who he is and for what he's done. Worship is to God for who he is and for what he's done. And this is what the psalmist is doing. Hey, hey, listen, God, there's a temptation in me to want to claim glory for myself, but not to us, oh Lord. Not, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of, not only because of who you are, but because of what you've done, because of your love and because of your faithfulness. And then the psalmist has a question. Why do the nations say, where is their God? And so as you, as you dig into this psalm, you realize it was uh, probably a liturgical type of a psalm where the, the singer or the, the psalmist would say a line and then the congregation would respond back to it. And they don't know which order these, these went in. Um, and, and it's irrelevant which order they went into. But this is, this is a response that was written because... During this season of the psalm, the, the psalm was written, the nation of Israel was down. It was dark. It was bleak. They, they were, had fallen on hard times. And so the nations around them and the people were mocking them. <laughs> you guys have been this nation of one God because all the other nations were, were gods, had many, many gods. And they, they, would, they would follow after these gods. And the nation of Israel had fallen after their gods as well and had abandoned the one true living God and, and some hard times had come upon them and so the nations are laughing at them and mocking, where, where's your God? And the psalmist feels a little bit like bitter about it, like angry, like defensive about it and he goes, tell you where our God is, verse three, our God is in heaven and he, he does whatever pleases him. 
Like he's, he's like, he's fired up about it now. Like he's doing whatever he wants to do. I, like, I don't know where your God is, maybe on your mantle or on your wall or in some little cave that you made, but, but our God, he's in heaven and he does whatever he wants to do. He doesn't call any meetings to see what the consensus is. He's not shooting out an email throughout the company. Like he does whatever he wants to do because he's almighty God. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on, he says, but, but their idols, the nations of the world, who create for themselves things other than God to worship. He said, their idols are silver and gold. It's funny. They're made by the hands of men. Like, my God was made by me. That's what, come on, think about that. Like, I, I, cra- I crafted it with my own hands, and I said it, I'm like, awesome God right here. Made it with my own hands. He goes, they're made by the hands of men. They, they have mouths. They can't speak. They got eyes. They can't see. They have ears. They can't hear. They have noses. They can't smell. Like He's like, pretty happening gods you guys got, right? They, they have hands. They can't feel feet. They can't walk. Nor, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Like, like, our God lives in heaven. He does whatever he wants. Your gods, they got hands, can't feel. They got mouths, can't speak. They got feet, can't walk. But, but it's cool. Your, your God, you got your thing. Your little God's cool. He's like six inches. He's on the wall. You made him, but he's aight, you know. Um, and then he gives a kicker, and he says, verse 8, those who make them idols will be what? Like them, and so will all who trust in them. What's the point, Danny, for this whole thing? We become what we worship, and so the point is, is that if you get the God part wrong, then you get the you part wrong because you become like whatever it is that you worship. If you get the who's on the throne part wrong, then you get the who's off the throne part wrong. Like, like who, who's going to intentionally make an idol? Carve, carve, chisel, chisel, paint, paint. There's a God. He's an awesome God, right? Like, it makes no sense. There is no good sense. I want you to consider this. In worshiping something that you can make with your own hands, something that you can accomplish with your own mind or your own strength or your own intellect or your own ingenuity, and you would say, and I would say, oh, I don't don't worship anything like that. But worship is not what we say or who we say we worship. It's what we actually do. It's how we live our lives. And that's the point of this whole series is that everybody's worshiping somebody and most of us in the room would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I worship God. But worship comes out down on the playing field. And why would we, why would we if we were examine our lives and realize, you know what, God is not first in my life. Money is or career is or fame is. Why would we worship anything that we could do with our own hands, with our own might, with our own intellect? How, how is that a worthy God, and that thing, and I've discovered this to be true in my own life, it will not lift you up. It, it will not make your life great. It will only bring you lower than the person that God himself originally designed you to be. And so he says those who trust in them will be like them. Like, I, I don't know about you, but the gods that I could fashion in my own way, the, the, the idols that, that American culture is filled with, they got eyes that can't see, they got ears that can't hear, they got mouths that can't speak. And I don't know about you, but I need a God who can speak into my life. I need a God who can save me. I need a God 
who can heal me. I need a God who can pull me back when I'm going down the wrong road. I need a God who's all-powerful, not one that's blind, deaf, and dumb. Come on, somebody. And people who follow the idols of this world, they come to the point where they're dead. Oh, they're still with us. They're still alive, but now they're, they've become money or sports, or entertainment, or relationships, or success, or whatever. Let, let me break this down to you. you none of us are going to go out to the woods today, and if you even have any woods around your house, like we just have cactus and dry things around ours. Anyways, but if you have some woods, none of us are going to go out in the woods and chop down a tree to make an idol that you can worship. But here's the point. If your life is revolving around anything other than God, you have an idol issue. That's harsh, isn't it? It's harsh to me too. We said last week that everybody has a throne and something or someone is sitting on that throne. And, 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 and all of us would say, yeah, yeah, of course God's on the throne of my life. But you, you, you can't say who's on the throne of your life. You, you follow the trail because everybody leaves a trail. We said this last week. Everybody leaves a trail of their time and, and their talents and their energies and their passions and their money and their thought life. And you follow the trail, and at the end of the trail, you see that something or someone's on the throne. And, and it's, not, it's not up to us to just to say who's there. It's up to us to live in such a way that it's obvious who is there. And when we get to the end of the trail of time and energy and money and passion, sometimes who's on the throne is us. Or it's a career. And we become like whatever is on that throne. And if it's not God... Even if it's unintentional, but if it's not God, we reduce our lives. We shrink them into less than, than something less than God wired us up to be. We were made for more than money and fame and fortune and careers and accomplishments. We were made for things much bigger than that. But, but, when we come into a place like this on a Sunday morning, and we offer heartfelt worship and expressions of praise to the only true God. When we, when we sit down before Almighty God and we acknowledge who it is that's in the room, we begin to discover who and what we're made for. And, and we forget this sometimes. We forget what we're on this planet to be and, and what we're on this planet to do. We forget this. We, we run around so frenetically in the spin cycle of life trying to figure things out, trying to make things happen, and we forget what we're made for. But I said this last week that, our, that we were made by God, and we were made for God. And our lives are the very invention of God. And he created us for purpose, and he created us to make a difference, and he created us to change things, and he created us to, to be worshipers of, of him. But we miss this as life speeds by, I remember reading a long time ago a message by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the great preachers ever, for real. I mean, we know him as a man who, who helped shape civil rights and a man who, who changed so many things for the better, but we forget often that he was a magnificent preacher and man of God. And he says of this very thing, he says, but then, this is a quote, we come to worship 
There is something there in worship that reminds. Every now and then we discover, every now and then we hear something calling us to the hills. Every now and then something cries out in our souls for the peaks. Every now and then when true worship is coming from us, we begin to breathe the stars because of how it lifts. And every now and then we discover that we are made for eternity. And this is what worship does for us. It reminds us that we are not made for the valleys and and just the plains, but we are made for the hills and the mountains and the peaks. And, And when we go into the house of God and we worship in spirit and truth as Jesus taught the woman at the well, Something comes ringing out to us with, with new meaning and with new um, a clarity. L- l- let me say something again. I said, I said just a moment ago, we were made by God. We were made for God. It's one thing to know that we're made by God. We all, most of us would agree with that. But we often don't realize that we weren't made for ourselves. We weren't made just to take up space. We were made for God. We were, our lives were made at the pleasure of, for the pleasure of God himself. And so when we come in here, worship, true worship is this becomes this empowering vehicle for us. And it brings us into the presence of God where God reminds us, you are not what you've done. You are not what you do. You are my sons and my daughters and you are kings, the Bible says, and priests before him. And worship reminds us of our potential because whatever consumes you Um, conforms you, and whatever conforms you shapes you into its destiny, and that's why worship matters. The fourth reason that worship matters, and this one is more abstract, and you just kind of got to stretch your mind with me here, is because there is a war going on over your worship. There is a full-on spiritual battle going on over your worship and mine. I'm not talking about us corporately. I'm talking about you as a person Apart from anybody else, just you, there's a war going on over your worship. Those of you who know the Bible know that there was an angel named Lucifer, who we now call Satan or the devil, and he was kicked out of heaven. And the reason that he was kicked out of heaven is the Bible says that he fell like lightning. Like like it wasn't like, oh, maybe we can work hard to get him out. It was just like, oh, you don't belong here anymore. And he fell like lightning, just that fast. That's how much power our God has, just FYI, all right? And it's because he refused to acknowledge the supremacy of God in all things where, where he should have been saying, you are God and I am not and all worship and all praise and all glory to you. Something happened inside of his heart where he said, I'm not, I want to get some of that worship and some of that glory. And the moment that he decided this and he convinced some of the other angels to go with him on it, a third, the Bible says, of the angels, he was kicked out and all of them as well, kicked out of heaven for that fact. And this worship war began. Now I want you to understand here. Some of us, when we think of God and the devil, it just depends on what your background is. You think like, like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Come on, right? That's what you're thinking. But like, that's not how it is at all. Like, God is so much more powerful, so much stronger, so much bigger than the devil, than the enemy, than Lucifer, than Satan, whatever you want to call him. It's like he could just kind of thump him a little bit and fly him across the galaxy at warp speed, like faster than the Millennium Falcon, y'all. That's how fast he could kick him his rear if he wants to anytime, day or night. Just FYI, I just want to throw that out there with you in case you're like, no, it's like an equal battle. No, it's not. No, not even close. Just throwing that out there. 
So the biggest thing in the war between good and evil is not that you missed church, because some of you, that's like every other week for you. I'm just throwing that out there too, just FYI. The all-seeing eye, you know what I'm saying? The braces, they now connect to your, I don't know, I don't even know where I'm going with that. I'm just going to move along now. It's not that you sinned some sin. That's not the biggest thing. It's not just that the enemy convinces you to go off the right path. It's that when he convinces you to go off the right path, he's stealing worship from God. Like he can't strike blows at God. He's not strong enough. He's not powerful enough. He can't do that. The only way that he can, can get at God is through me and you. That's, how, that's the only thing he can do is to convince us, to lie to us, to deceive us, to get us to go down the wrong road. And in the going down the wrong road, putting something else on the throne, he steals worship from God. That's his only recourse in this war. And that's what it's always been about for him. God's biggest concern is not just that you go down some bad path and tank your life. It's that you would raise up some little G-O-D and it would become God in your life and you would worship and serve that thing with your life and your life will change and become totally different than the, the life that he has for you. Totally less. In your pursuit for significance, it actually becomes less significant than God would have made it in the beginning. Do you remember, those of you who know the Bible, do you remember when Jesus was about to start his earthly ministry and so he's 30 years old now and he decides to go out into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights to, to prepare himself, to prepare his heart, to prepare his mind for what's going to happen to sort of get ready. And, and, and at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, Satan comes to him, the enemy comes to him and, and tempts him. Do you, do you remember this? Those of you who are Bible people, do you remember this? And... and there are three temptations that the enemy gives Jesus. And the third one is found in Matthew 4, verse 8. I just want to read it for you momentarily here. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says to Jesus, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, the last temptation is about worship. Imagine that. He's on this high place overlooking all the splendor, all the kingdoms, all the majesty of this world. And, and maybe, you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. All of the dominion over planet Earth was given to mankind, to Adam and Eve. God gave them dominion over everything. But when they decided to, to, to not listen to God, when they decided not to follow God, they, in effect, at their sin, they gave dominion to the devil. That's what happened. All, the, all of the authority, all of the dominion over, over the earth that mankind was given right in the beginning was just immediately handed off. Not final authority, not full control, because God has all that. But in this moment, the enemy's going, hey, I can give you all this because it's been given to me if you'll just worship me. And Jesus looks at him and I would like to translate it in the way I would say it, but I probably shouldn't because that might be disrespectful. But he's like, get away from me. And the, the old King James, get behind me. And then he, as, as is wise, he always just quotes the scriptures to him as he did in all three scenarios. He says, it is written, you will love the Lord your God and him only will you serve. 
or will you worship? This is what it's always been about. Do, 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 you remember, do you remember a guy by the name of Job? There's a book bearing his name in the Old Testament. Many say it's the oldest book of all of the books of the Bible. Job is this dude who's just got a great life going. He's wealthy, like crazy wealthy. He's got this huge family. Life is perfect. And one day, the Bible says that as the angels were going to and fro, that one of them came, the Lucifer came back to be in the presence of, of God, to give account to God. And, and he challenges God. He says, listen, the only reason this guy, Job, the only reason he worships you in the way that he does, because Job was known as this incredible worshiper of God. The only reason he does this is because you've given him this nice little life. You put this nice little hedge of protection around his life. If you remove that for a moment, he will curse you to your face and, and he will drop you like a lead weight. And God says, no, he loves me, loves me. Not just, he didn't, he didn't just love me for what I do. He loves me for who I am, right? And, and, and the enemy's like, no, nah, no, nah, you let me get at him a little bit and we'll, we'll figure that out. And so God says, all right, you can mess with his life. You can touch him. You can mess with his stuff. You can harm him physically. You can take away all of his stuff. You just can't kill him. Now, when I read that, I'm like, say what? Come on, are you with me all right? Like, it's like hard to sort that out. Like, I can't believe a loving God would, would, would do that. But listen to me. He did this because God's glory was on the line. And if you read the text, if you read the Bible from front to back, you're going to find that God's glory, he's about his glory, and he won't suffer a fool like the enemy to take some of it from him. Right? Suffer a fool. Pity a fool. Oh, 18. Come on, y'all. Mr. T, pity the fool. Anyways, um, I don't know where that came out. The braces are really jacking with my brain cells right now. And, and there was this war going on over Job's worship, and Job doesn't even know it. He thinks that the stuff that goes down, and he has some bad, bad stuff go down. He thinks, man, this is the worst week I've ever had. He loses all of his cows and all of his sheep and all of his donkeys and all of his camels. I don't remember if it was cows. I think it might have been cows, but he lost a lot of livestock, y'all. And then he starts losing family members. And then he gets boils all over his body. It's like horrific, like worse. Like I've had the shingles. Anybody had the shingles in the room today? It's just me, man. It's miserable. It's like the worst thing ever, man. And, and he has like shingles times 10. And all of his friends come visit him, ostensibly to comfort him. And instead, they're just taking shots at him over and over again. Dude, you did this. You caused this. It's your problem that you, God's punishing you. And there's this back and forth thing going on. I don't want to make too big of a leap here, and I'm just lobbing out a possibility here, that it's possible that when you're going through some of the worst seasons of your life, I'm not talking about flat tire, pothole in the road. I'm talking about the bottom falls out kind of bad week. It's possible that there is a war going on over our worship, and maybe a challenge went up to God about you. Yeah, yeah, nice little Christian you got here, God, but you, you, you take away all the blessings and all the good stuff in their life, and they will, they will turn from you in a split second. And God's like, no, they won't. They love me for who I am, not just for what I do. And all of a sudden, your life gets in a pinch, and you don't know what's going on, and and, and, you, and you, you, you feel instinctively, 
where you at, God? And what, what have you done? And maybe you don't even exist at all. And maybe I'm going to just turn away and walk away from you. But instead, you, you hung in there. God, I don't know what's happening around me. And I don't know why all this stuff is going down. But God, you, you're God. And, and you, can, you do whatever it is that you want to. And, and, and even though all hell is breaking loose in my life, still I will trust you. And still I will serve you. And I don't even get it. And I, but I, I don't even know how to do it. I don't even feel like it. But I will, I will say hallelujah to your name. And it becomes this broken hallelujah, but you say it anyway. And God's like, you see what I'm telling you, man? He loves me, loves me. She loves me, loves me. Not just for what I do and not just for what I've done for them in the past, but for who I am. And there's this war going on. And and, and some of you, frankly, you're in that place right now. And your temptation is to walk away or to, Throw your hands up and, and turn away. But I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can do, and this is my challenge to you, is right in the midst of your personal darkness, you send those hands up. And you send those words up. And you begin to worship God right in the moment. Because worshiping God when everything is going awesome is cool, man. There's not, that's great stuff. But worshiping God when things are going terrible is a whole, it's a whole nother level. I don't know why. I just messed up my little moment I was having right there. You see what I'm saying? It's easy to tell your spouse how awesome they are when they're doing awesome stuff for you. It's another thing to tell them how awesome they are when they're not all that awesome after all, at least in that moment. Like, you just say, God, I worship you. I give you praise, I give you honor, I give you glory, I place you of highest value. You do that even in the midst of the darkness and God gets exalted and God gets glory and somewhere in heaven and I'm just throwing out the possibility that maybe he's like, you see, I told you. I told you. What I'm trying to tell you is that there are heaven-sized ramifications over your worship and over your decision of, of whom or what to worship. And I'm saying, guard your worship and protect it. Do not let anything, do not let anybody rob you of worship. Do not let any guy or girl or job or amount of money or any other sort of the idols of this world, any pleasures, a- a- anything, any achievement, any accomplishment, any relationship, don't let it rob you of the thing that you were designed by God, that you were made for by God to do. And don't let it rob you, rob God of the worship that is, is due only to him. The last one, and I'm done, is number five, it's fuel for the soul. Worship is fuel for the soul. In, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, there's a prophecy about the coming of Jesus to the new, in, in, in the New Testament to the earth, and it says, all these amazing things that he's going to do. He's going to give sight to the blind and he's going to heal the sick and he's going to unstop deaf ears and he's going to set free the captives. And, and then in verse three, and I don't have time to read it, all, all of this for you. It just says he's going to give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That, that in other words, this is what worship can do for you, that all the other four were about God and, and about uh, about how our response should be to God. But this one, this one is about what's in it for you and me. That when you worship, this is what worship can do for you. That, that when, when you've had the, the, the week, the Job week, that when you've had the war over worship going on in your life and you felt beat up and 
blown up and knocked down, but you worship God anyway, that there is this exchange that starts to happen over time. There is an exchange for the spirit of heaviness and the spirit of, of doubt and the spirit of depression and of anxiety. There's this, there's this cloak, this exchange that God makes, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now, if you look around in our culture at all, you realize we are messed up people. Come on, somebody, am I right? We're just messed up. We got so much stuff. There is, there is racial division and there is political division and there, is, there are hostilities and there are bad things and there are people against one another. There are families that war against each other. And, and all of this just beats us up at a soul level. The Bible teaches us that we are made up of, of body and, and of soul and of, of spirit, mind, soul, spirit. And our soul, which is the seat of our emotions, it's kind of the hardest, the, the sort of heart part of us gets battered and bruised as we navigate through life. Stuff happens. And eventually our souls get heavy. And there are a lot of great people who take serious medications because sometimes it's chemical. And I, we acknowledge that 100%. We know that's real. But sometimes it's just they can't take it anymore. They can't take the battering that their soul has taken. And a lot of these people will be people who just sleep all the time. And, and it's not because their bodies are tired because they slept all night and they slept half of the day, but they're tired because their soul is tired and their soul gets heavy. And this is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your, do you remember? For your souls. Some of you maybe walked in here today and you're like, man, everything's good. Everything, everything is awesome, right? High-fiving everybody. But, but there have been moments where I've come into this room and everything wasn't awesome. And I was faking everybody out the best I could because, like, maybe it's my job. I don't know. But my soul is tired. Now, now, let me explain one more thing to you. Just dig a little deep here and I'm done. Our mind is our chooser, right? It's a choosing mechanism, not our soul. Our soul is the emotional part of us. It decides how we're feeling. And so the soul says to the mind, hey, we're kind of in a funk today. We're going to wake up angry at everybody, right? Have you ever wondered why your spouse is like, what happened to you during the night? Come on, anybody with me on this? My wife is perfect every time, but sometimes I am the other person. I just want to make sure that's clear because uh, I got to go home today. Anyways, and the mind says, oh, that's how we're feeling today? Uh, and, and okay, well, Here's what we're going to do today in response to how we're feeling today. And this, by the way, is why God says in Romans 12 that he wants us to renew our minds, right? P part of worship then just means thinking about God, about his attributes, about singing to him, his character, his love, making sure that we're tuning into him and we're not just clapping and singing songs mindlessly, but that we're singing songs. And, and, and as a team, we, we are going to be very, very careful that we choose songs that are always expressions of, about him, not about us, about, about him and, and worship to him. And, and then we wrap our brains around. And in the process of that, our minds get revamped and, and get revved up about a whole new way of thinking. And the, and, and the mind tells us, oh, hey, perk up, man. We're, we're renewed. There's hope. God's with us. God is God. And we're about to move forward. And the soul's like, like Eeyore. Like I just saw Christopher Robin on Friday night, which is good, by the way. I don't feel good today, right? And the mind has the power. Listen to me. The mind has the power to say, you know what? I don't care how you're feeling. We're going to move forward anyway. 
Now, I'm not trying to go Dr. Phil on you here because let me read this from the Psalms. Psalm 42, verse 5, the psalmist starts asking his soul some questions. Like he's talking to his soul and he's like, hey, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then he says, hey, put your hope. Hey, soul, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. He's my savior and my God. And, and he's, trying to, he's trying to convince his soul, come on, man, because there's bad stuff happening to David. There's some bad things happening around him. And, and his soul is downcast because of it. In verse six, he says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. God, I will remember you. I'll remember what you've done. I'll remember who you are. I'll remember your goodness. I'll remember all the things that you have done. I'll remember you, God. And in the process of this, he's talking to his soul. Hey, I know there's bad stuff happening, but come on, let's think about who God is. Let's think about what he's done for us. Let's, let's, let's put our hope in him. Let's praise him. And this is what he's doing, and he's lifting the spirit because praise and worship is fuel for the soul. And some of us need a doctor and, and we need a drug for our soul and, and because we have a really beat up soul but something happens M maybe not in one service maybe not even in one song but in the process of worship a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness and this is why when you're in a war for your worship and this is why when the bottom falls out praise, sometimes praise and worship can bring you out. Not that your problems go away. Not that the stuff isn't waiting for you getting it, but it lifts you up above it. And now I got a 30,000 foot view. And what seems so big and what seems so large and what seems so insurmountable when I was staring eyeball to eyeball with my stuff, as God lifts me, as he takes me above the, the valleys and the plains and he lifts me up into the stars and the mountains, and I see things from heaven's point of view. All of a sudden, the things of this world don't seem so big after all. They don't disappear. But worship is rocket fuel for the soul, and it lifts the soul, and it lifts the heart. And when I'm there in that sort of rarefied air of God's presence and God's goodness and God's glory, things change, things happen chains fall off and fear is diminished and worry is diminished and anxiety has to go and all of a sudden in the presence of God, this is why the psalmist said in, the, in your presence there is fullness of joy and that your right hand pleasures forevermore. There's something about worship. There's something about the presence of God. That one moment in his presence changes everything. This is why we sing. <clears throat> this is why we preach. This is why we pray. Because we know that one moment in the presence of God can change everything for you. This is why worship matters. Can, can I pray with you just for a moment? Lord, we just... <clears throat> We come to you, God. I don't even know if many of us realize why worship matters. And, and, and when I say worship, I'm not just talking about songs. I'm not talking about clapping hands or expressions of worship. I'm talking about those, but I'm also talking about just how 
we live our life and how we arrange our life and what we arrange our lives around. God, you are so much bigger than the the idols of this world, the gods of this world, the little G-O-Ds of this world. What, What you've done for us is so much greater than anything that this world can do for us. Any momentary shots of adrenaline that this world can give us. The things that we accomplish, the things that we can buy, the things that we can do. You're bigger than all of that. And I just pray, God, that as a group of people, we would examine by the, by the trail that we've left behind of our energies and of our time and of our treasures and of our passions and of the things that we're thinking about, the energies that we give to things, that we would examine who or what is on the throne of our heart. And if there's an idol there, that we would quickly knock it off and put you in your rightful place. I don't think it's too big of a leap, God, to think that there are some of us here who are just in a space and time in our lives. I don't think it's too big of a leap because I've gotten here where I put other things, churchy things, seemingly godly things above you. I've done it myself. And I know where that's brought me. And I know what that's, what that's brought me down to. But I know that in the moment that I put you in your rightful place, that that heaviness, I've experienced that just in the past two weeks, that that heaviness is replaced with a garment of praise. A garment that brings worth to me. That makes me understand what my true worth is. is not what I do. It's not what I've done, but it's who you are. And I find my sense of self and my sense of worth in you. And you do that for me in worship. So I pray for every person in this room today that you would give them that, that you would let them see the value of worship in their lives. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise, everybody. Amen.